0: Today's episode is in response to a voicemail from a listener named Frank, who called in with a couple of questions, including this one, noting something I promised but didn't deliver. Hi, this is a terrific series, and we're really learning a lot. Thank you. You mentioned you were going to do an episode on will versus trust, and I didn't see that up there, so I'm hoping it's coming soon. You're right, Frank. I skipped over making that episode, so I'm doing it today. Hello and welcome to Dying Kindness, the podcast for people who are going to die someday. I'm Sianna Stewart, and I'm going to die someday. Spoiler alert, you will too. So let's all do what we can to make key decisions now in order to be kinder to the people we'll leave behind. That's a dying kindness. First, some updates. There's been some huge news in the California funeral industry. Natural organic reduction, also known as human composting, has been approved. Governor Gavin Newsom signed Assembly Bill 351, which allows for natural organic reduction beginning in January 1, 2027. So if you want this option in California, you need to stick around for another four and a half years. But it's coming! In personal news, I'm doing Sober October. This fits in with my overall focus on taking actions which are good for long-term brain health and it feels good to take a break from alcohol from time to time. It's also fun to say, sober October. I'm in. So, back to Frank's question. It is about time that I talked about wills versus trusts. I'm going to spend most of this episode talking about trusts, because that's more complicated and less familiar than doing a will. This might or might not be relevant for those of you outside the U.S. If you're in another country... I'd love to learn more about how things are done elsewhere, so drop me a line. As a reminder, I'm not a lawyer. I'm basing today's episode on books I've read and on conversations I've had with estate lawyers. If you're a lawyer or anyone who knows more than I do, please for sure let me know if I've left anything out or if I misstate anything here. If you want to see what I've been reading, check out my bookshop at dyingkindness.com. It's a curated collection of books I've read and recommend. I'm sure you already know that a will is a legal document that describes someone's property and describes how and to whom that property will be distributed after that person dies. Everyone should have a will. Even people who create a trust should have a will. I'll go into why later. A will is pretty straightforward, and making it doesn't have to be complicated. I go into it more in episode 28, so check that out. Now, I know most of the time a will is all that we hear about. So what is a trust? A trust is a bit more complicated, and it's not something you really want to DIY. It's specifically designed to avoid probate, or more accurately, it's designed to protect your beneficiaries from having to go through probate after you're gone. Quick sidebar about probate in case you don't know why people work so hard to avoid it. Probate court was designed to settle people's estates after they die. Settling an estate means making sure debts are paid, that all property is valued appropriately, and that the right beneficiaries receive what's due to them according to the wishes of the deceased. It's also there to confirm that those wishes are legal. Going into probate happens automatically when someone dies with a particular net worth. I'm being a little vague because the dollar amount of that minimum probate threshold varies from state to state. You can look up what it is where you live by searching for the name of your state plus the phrase probate threshold. When someone dies who owns a variety of things or who has a complicated debt or has multiple beneficiaries, settling the estate can take a while. I'm talking months or even years. Even when someone has a fairly simple estate, probate can still take a while if the court schedule is busy. Some states are faster than others, but no matter where you are, it's not instant. Meanwhile, until the case is settled, the beneficiaries are not allowed to access any of the assets of the deceased that are in probate. And all this complexity and time can mean that the probate process often ends up costing a lot in court and lawyer's fees. Suffice it to say that, if you can, it would be a dying kindness to spare your loved ones the pain and expense of going through probate. There are many ways to do that, and one of the main ones is to create a revocable living trust. It's called a living trust because it's only in effect as long as you're alive. And it's called revocable because, well, it's revocable. You can change your mind about what's in it, or even if you want to maintain it, and you can get rid of it completely if you want to. Hmm, I still haven't actually told you what a trust is. A trust is a legal entity that is separate from you, but is still controlled by you. The reason to create a separate entity is to transfer ownership of property and assets to the trust, which means that they're not part of the estate calculation that probate does when you die. This is a super important point, so I'm going to repeat that. The reason to create a trust is so that it can be the owner of your property. I'm repeating that because, for example, my father created a trust but then failed to fund it. He never transferred the title for his condo into it. This means that he spent the money and the time to create a trust, but we all still ended up in probate anyway, Costing more money and time. I've now been told by numerous lawyers that this situation is pretty common. Many, many estate lawyers have a pile of unfunded trusts, just waiting for the people to transfer property into them. An unfunded trust is basically useless. If you decide to do a trust, don't be one of those people who forgets to fund it. So now, on to why you'd want to do a trust. As I mentioned, every state has what's called a probate threshold. A dollar amount for the size of an estate, which automatically triggers probate. It's generally quite low. Pretty much, if you own your home, you're over the threshold. In some places, you'd be over the limit if you simply own multiple vehicles, or large-scale farm equipment, or a bunch of high-end cameras, or major art pieces. Or a business. I don't fully understand how sole proprietorships and intellectual property fit into all of this, but some brands are worth a lot and you really should talk with a lawyer about that. I intend to learn more about it in the future, and we'll report back here. So, let's say that you've looked up the probate threshold in your state, and you know that your beneficiaries are going to end up in probate unless you plan ahead. There are a number of things you can do, but right now, let's focus on the revocable living trust. This process has two key stages, creating the trust and then funding the trust. Creating the trust is not hugely complicated, but it really needs to be done right, so I recommend working with a lawyer. You will be creating a separate legal entity, the trust, which will be managed by someone while you're alive, probably you. Then you need to decide who will manage the trust after you die to distribute the properties of the trust to the beneficiaries in the ways that you describe. All this is drawn up in legal papers to create the trust. That's stage one. But now we have stage two funding the trust. Creating the trust means nothing if it's not funded. For example, you can write down in the trust whatever you want about who gets your house after you're gone, but if you haven't transferred the ownership of the house, meaning that if the title doesn't have the name of the trust instead of your name, then it doesn't mean anything. If you haven't made any other provisions, then your house will be going through the probate process and your loved ones will be stuck waiting months or years for that to get resolved. But trusts are not just for houses. In fact, In many states, you can avoid having real estate and vehicles be included in calculations for the probate threshold simply by setting up what's called a transfer of title upon death. You can also do this with your bank accounts and investment accounts. Check with your financial institutions or with a lawyer to see if this is available for your assets. Actually, trusts are particularly useful for things that have value but which don't have title papers or built in beneficiary structures. I'm talking about art, jewelry, furniture, collectibles, gear, much of what we own that has value doesn't have a clear path of inheritance and trusts can help with that. Transferring ownership of those items to the trust pretty much just means making a clear record of what you're talking about and then including that in the listing of the trust's property. Maybe right about now, you're wondering how all this works. If the trust owns everything, then are you still allowed to use it? Can you sell things that belong to the trust? What if you buy new things that should be added into the trust later? First, yes, you're allowed to use it. In fact, for all intents and purposes, you still behave just as you did before. If you create a trust that now owns your house and you are the trustee, which is the normal way to set it up, then as the trustee, you are in charge of making all the decisions about that property, just like before when you owned it. You can live in it, renovate, and even sell it. Now, maybe you have a question about taxes, like... If the trust owns the property, does that mean that I don't have to pay taxes on it? And that answer is, no. You still have to pay taxes on it. A trust is not a tax structure. The ownership transfer is just about probate, not taxes. I didn't answer that last question from before. What if you buy new things that should be added later into the trust? This is why you should have a will. Your will can be more general, so it covers everything that you own that isn't included in the trust. Let me give you an example to make it more clear. Let's say that, like me, you own a lot of books. Let's also say that, unlike me, you own a rare and very valuable first edition of the complete works of Shakespeare, maybe the one from 1709 published by Jacob Tonson. I just looked it up and it's selling for $40,000 at Abe Books, if anyone is having a hard time deciding what to get for me for Christmas. It would be smart to put those Shakespeare volumes into the trust. Meanwhile, You and I both know that we're going to keep buying other books as long as we're alive, and we don't want to have to keep updating the trust weekly with all these less valuable titles. So you and I should each have a will that says what we want done with them. We'd write in something like my books or all my books that are not in the trust or something like that without the need to list out individual titles. Also, if you were to buy something valuable and then die before you transferred ownership of that item to the trust, then your will would cover that too if it included a general phrase like all my property or the remainder of my property. A few more things about trusts before I wrap this up. One of the more common ways that we hear about trusts is in relation to putting limitations on when somebody inherits something. Usually it's something like when they turn 18 or 25 or when they finish college or grad school. It could be when they get out of rehab or when they get married or any number of ways that people want to exert control from beyond the grave. I'd guess most of the time it's healthy and well-intentioned, but there are some stories which are pretty mean. All that to say, you can be very specific in your instructions to the person who is supposed to carry out the terms of the trust after your death, the successor trustee. Also, so far I've been talking about one person creating a trust, but a trust can be created and managed by more than one person. It's pretty common to have married spouses create a shared trust that includes all their shared property. Shared trusts can also include individually owned personal property, which may get distributed differently depending on who dies first. And shared trusts can be created by people who are not married and can be created by more than two people. This means that if you're in a non traditional relationship and have shared property and you want to protect what happens to that property after your death, you should look into doing a trust. Another advantage of trusts is that they don't become part of the public record. When your assets end up in probate court, they become part of the public record in the court documents. So if you want to keep certain things private, like what something is worth, or who it went to, or even the existence of certain items that you own, then making a trust might be the right way to go. Maybe now you're wondering, who should not create a trust? If you're going to be dying with a lot of debt, or your debt is very complicated, like many, many creditors, then you might not be doing your loved ones a kindness by creating a trust. Remember when I said that thing about probate courts making sure that creditors get paid? Well, one advantage to probate court is that they impose a time limit on when creditors can submit their claims for repayment. If someone doesn't get their claims in on time, then oh well. They don't get paid, and your loved ones don't have to worry about creditors coming after them after a certain point. That is not true with a trust. With a trust, there are no such limitations. So even if you've transferred ownership of your house to the trust, creditors can still try to come after that house to get all of their debts repaid. And there is no time limit on how long they can continue to hound your beneficiaries to resolve those debts. I'm going to have to do an episode in the future on what it means to die with a lot of debt. But for now, just know that it sucks. And no, your debts don't disappear when you die. So don't max out your credit cards completing your bucket list in your final years and then dump that debt on your people. That would be seriously mean. Well, I think that's more than enough for today. To recap, you probably only need a will if you don't own very many things of value and if who will inherit your property is both clear and uncomplicated. For nearly all other situations, consider talking with your lawyer about whether it would be beneficial for you and your loved ones for you to also create a trust. Lastly, if you do create a trust, remember to fund it. So, listener Frank, did that cover it for now? I hope so. I know you had two questions. The second one's going to take more, so I'll get to that in the newsletter. And thanks again for the prompt. If you have a question you'd like me to dive into here, drop me an email or send me a voicemail through dyingkindness.com. Just click the microphone in the bottom right. I will also be doing more workshops and offering the chance to work with me one-on-one, so be sure to sign up for the newsletter to learn more about all of that. Today's music is by Blue Dot Sessions, and everything else was done by me. I'm Sienna Stewart, and I'm going to die someday, but... Hopefully not before I get to see a Shakespeare play at the Old Globe in London. Today's death reading is a limerick by Edward Lear. There was an old man of Cape Horn who wished he had never been born. So he sat on a chair till he died of despair, That dolorous man of Cape Horn.